social anxiety cuts to the very core of one of our core needs to belong, which might be our, our very deepest need underneath everything else is our need to belong in all ways, to, to belong to ourselves, but to belong to others. Welcome to Gathering Gold, a podcast for highly sensitive souls. I'm Cheryl Paul, a counselor trained in the Jungian depth psychological tradition. And I'm Victoria Russell, Cheryl's niece and co-host. We are talking about social anxiety today. This is something that has come up tangentially in other episodes, certainly in our recent episodes about shame and how relational shame is, I shared some of my social anxiety. And it's come up in various bonus episodes as well when we've talked about our middle school years and Mm. things like that. And it feels like a particularly potent time to talk about social anxiety because, well, for one, we have had this pandemic that really isolated us from people. And I was talking to my therapist recently about my increase in social anxiety as I've gone out into the world more again. And she said, this is so common. I'm hearing this from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are are struggling with social anxiety in an even deeper way than before the pandemic mm-hmm. began. Mm-hmm. And we are also heading into the holiday season. And that brings a lot of opportunities for our social anxiety to ramp up even more because there are many parties and gatherings and get-togethers across all different social groups in our lives, at work, school, friends, family, neighborhoods. So it feels like a potent time, and we thought we would start by just stepping back and naming okay, what is social anxiety? And fundamentally, it is really a fear of judgment, a self-consciousness, and it can happen in all different types of social situations. And that, that deep fear of judgment, it can, it can manifest in different ways. It can manifest as withdrawing and avoiding and getting really quiet and shy, or, and I tend to really oscillate between these two, depending on the situation, it might manifest as us talking a lot, like talking maybe more than we meant to, (laughs) and being really bubbly, maybe even seeking out a lot of social engagement because we're really trying to connect, but we have so much anxiety about it that we end up like trying really hard. And we can have this anxiety before the social interaction. We can have it during the social interaction. And we can have it after. Sometimes for me, the most painful social anxiety is actually after the event when I ruminate on and berate myself for anything I said or did that I thought was awkward or embarrassing or weird or wrong. It calls to mind this internet meme that I saw recently, Cheryl, and it said, me, when I'm talking, am I annoying? Me, when I'm quiet, am I boring? Mm -hmm. (laughs) We can judge ourselves and fear that others are judging us either way. Yeah. So we all know that feeling We know the feeling of awkwardness or embarrassment and even rejection. And what we want to talk about today is what is really going on on a deep level? What is happening for us when we are ruminating? We're so nervous before an event or we are shrinking into the corner during an event or we are obsessing and trying to retroactively control ourselves after an event. Why is this so powerful? And sometimes, yes, funny. We can, you and I, Cheryl, we're sharing stories with each other about our awkwardness and laughing, Mm -hmm. but it can also be deeply painful. Mm. 
So I would love to hear you share a little bit, Cheryl, about why this is so powerful for us. Yes. As we were lighting our candle, Victoria, our candles, setting our intention and setting the tone for our recording, I had this image of my grandmother, Charlotte, and the way she used to talk about her social anxiety when she was a teenager. And she ended up being a very social person, and they had this big group of friends for as long as I knew them. But in her earlier life, she really struggled. And I wrote about it in a blog post several years ago. I came across some of her psychology paper. She took a psychology class later in life at community college. My grandparents were always learning. And she did some kind of psych assessment. And she came out on the introverted end. And she reflected on how painful it was as a teenager, partially because they grew up on a farm and then they needed to move into the city during the school year and then go back to the farm in spring. So she would move from the Catskills in upstate New York in October after the school year had already started into New York City, didn't know anybody, always struggled to make friends. How challenging to do that every year and then move back in April or May for the farming season and the summer that they spent in the work that they did in the farm in the summer. And I recently came across this again, and it struck me that she moved into a school system in October because our younger son has just changed schools, and he changed schools in October. And when I read that again, and I saw the month there was a connection. There was this connective line between Asher and Charlotte. And what it, the, the courage, the bravery it takes to start at a new school in ninth grade, seven weeks into a semester. And some of the things that he's been sharing about it. He's, he's also a very social person, but also very shy, which I think is such an interesting and common combination, I think more common than we think. And like so many on your side of the family, Victoria, has has a deep need to be in his tribe, in his community, deep loyalty to family, to friends. And when we are wired that way, I think there are some people that are more okay being more solitary um, kind of the lone wolf type, although I think that's rare because we are social animals as humans. We need our tribe. And when we feel outside, it cuts to the very core of our need to belong. And it can be excruciating, excruciating to feel like you're on the outside of the tribe, of the social tribe, of that that web of belonging. And so social anxiety cuts to the very core of one of our core needs to belong, which might be our, our very deepest need underneath everything else is our need to belong in all ways, to, to belong to ourselves, but to belong to others, to belong to our community, to a neighborhood, to a friend group, to a family. Right. And so thinking back to the roots of this, right? That the the primacy of it, that way back when, when we lived outdoors, we lived in tribes, to be shunned by the group would have likely resulted in death. We could not survive on our own. We needed the group in order to survive. And on some level, we still do. It's not a physical death, 
to be shunned or exiled or left out or kicked out of a social group, but it feels like we're going to die. And I think most people have had that experience of being kicked out. I was reflecting with you, Victoria, when we were having our pre-talk about one of my most painful social memories was when I was in fifth grade. And a group, the most popular group of sixth graders decided to befriend me for some reason. And of course, I felt on top of the world about this strange opening in their, in their social ring that let me in. But I also felt always on the outside, even when I was on the inside, because first of all, I was a year younger. And second of all, they were all very cool and I wasn't very cool. I've never <laughs> been cool. <laughs> and I think this is one of the pieces we can maybe come back to about, but I'll just say here the, you know, uh, something that shows up a lot in, and I'll come back to my story, but something that shows up a lot in our community here in this Gathering Gold community is the authenticity, how genuine highly sensitive people are. We aren't that cool, right? And <laughs> and thank God because I yes. think I think to be cool implies some kind of persona. We don't have a lot of personas. Sure we have personas in different places in our lives, but um we just are who we are. And I think growing up, we kind of feel that difference. We feel that we are different. Yeah. We are kind of on the outside. Yeah. Right? And so social anxiety says, well, I'm different. And in some way, we can agree with it, but with so much love and compassion, like, yes, you are different. You are wired differently than 75 to 80% of humans. You are not only more conscientious, moral, ethical, thoughtful, deeply feeling, deeply thinking, caring, right? To care so deeply about things, but you are also very genuine. You just are who you are. And so back to fifth grade, I was taken into the fold of this very coveted social group of girls who were all very cool. They had the right clothes and they had the right hair and this and that, which I did not. And I don't know how long it lasted, but one day they took me into the bathroom at school. And for some reason, we were all, this is my memory of it anyway, we were all crowded into a stall. I don't know why they couldn't just <laughs> deliver the bad news you know, next to the sinks, but like we were <laughs> Let's make this really unpleasant for really you. Really unpleasant. Like I'm trapped in a stall with four girls and the ringleader of them all says to me, we have decided you can no longer be in our group. And I, sensitive person that I was, burst into tears, started sobbing, felt like I was going to die felt like I was going to die. And they felt bad and they took it back. But it was never the same. And I ended up either by my own choosing or because of them leaving that group. But what was left was the scar of that moment. Right? The scar of having been taken in and then abruptly kicked out and exiled. And, you know, when I, when I look back, I, I want to do some, I want to do some healing and time travel healing for my young self. And I think I have done a lot of that. Um, and luckily it didn't leave too many scars because I still had very close groups of friends in later years. But it happened again in gymnastics. It happened again in high school. 
for different reasons that I still don't fully understand, but I have some sense of how that happened and why, where I lost friends, where I was, I was exiled and I was alone. And I have so much compassion for my younger selves. And it also, you know, it, it brings me into that place of interconnectivity where I, I know this, I know this place, you know, and I know it when it comes up, comes up, it came up even more recently in my life where I was a member of a synagogue here and for years, and I would show up, not every week, no, but I would show up. And when I would see synagogue members around town, Boulder's not very big, and I even ran into one of them in Hawaii one time, they would, they would not recognize me. They would, it was as if I was invisible. I felt invisible. And it was the strangest thing and such a painful thing. I would always recognize them, but they would just look at me blankly when I would muster my courage to say hello. And I had to sit with that because I also had a similar experience in my neighborhood here, which I think I've mentioned in another episode, where for years and years and years and years and years, I felt like people didn't like me in the neighborhood. And I've never had that experience in a neighborhood. I've always been very friendly with my neighbors and I have felt their friendliness back to me. And it wasn't across the board. I would have, we'd, you know, a couple of neighbors we were connected to and close to, but there was just, just this general feeling of, do people not like me here? And so I'm sharing these two examples because at some point in the neighborhood, it crossed over and now I feel very connected to my neighbors. You know, they're not my best friends, but I don't need them to be my best friends. We're, we're neighbors. And I feel a part of this neighborhood. And like whenever I went to college, we had, you know, the flag out front of the college he was going to and people would stop and how is he doing? You know, now when I see how is he doing and there's connection and people know my kids and I ask about their kids and their lives. And, and I love that. I love, I love neighborhood connections. So it was heartbreaking to me that it wasn't happening here. And for a long time, my response was maybe we're in the wrong place, but we stayed because of all the wonderful things about where we live. And then it shifted. And then with the synagogue at some point, I said, you know what? I actually don't think this is my place. Um, Maybe people don't like me here. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just not a match. For whatever reason, it's not happening. I, I did end up meeting a couple of my very closest friends here in Boulder through synagogue, but I have felt really good about my decision. I haven't been a member there in years for a variety of reasons, not just because of that. And so these two examples kind of elucidate this, this piece of around social anxiety, are my expectations too high or it, are these just not my people, mm-hmm. right? Which I think are two very good questions instead of, is there something wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Right? Instead of the default shame response, which is people just don't like me, right? Here I am trying and making outreaches and nothing's coming back. And I think the first very understandable response is people don't like me. Instead of maybe we're just not a match, maybe I'm maybe this environment just isn't a match, or maybe I'm expecting too much too quickly. Maybe that's just not the way it is in this particular environment, but it doesn't mean it will never be that. so many important threads around social anxiety 
and so many not paradoxes, that's not the right word, but how multiple things can be true. I guess that is a paradox. <laughs> multiple yes. things can be true at the same time. Yes. And I think about even just the very the very experience of the acute social anxiety that just feels like oh, just in this moment, I feel awkward. I feel embarrassed. I feel worried about what they think of me in this mm. moment. Mm. And you can work with it in the moment with these in the moment tools. And yes, some of that I think is, as you and I have talked about, our temperament, our brain wiring. And many of us have had painful experiences in the past yes. that made us afraid <laughs> Of That's right. judgment and rejection. And it's it was not a completely irrational fear because we yes. experienced it and maybe still do sometimes. Yes. And so it's like many things can be true at the same time. I, I listened to an episode of the podcast Hidden Brain mm. recently. It was from a while ago, but it's called How Others See You. Mm. And it was very interesting and they talked about how like we often do really underestimate how much people like us. Hmm. They there are all these research studies about kind of looking at, you know, what impression do we think we made versus how does the person report that they they felt about us hmm. upon meeting? And so I think it's true that we often are judging ourselves much more harshly or judging the interaction much more harshly. Yes. And I also think it's true that there are times when we are getting the feeling of either, yeah, this just isn't a fit and that happens sometimes and that's no one's fault. Or I am getting some some signals from this person that they're not into me. Like they think I'm yes. kind of weird or <laughs> kind of awkward or whatever. Yes. And it can be, yeah, it's it's like a, a, a very thorny thicket sometimes. Just on that piece of picking up on the possibility that somebody is not that into me or thinks I'm weird or doesn't like the way I'm expressing something that we can validate that and also validate that we, as highly sensitive people, are wired to care about how people perceive us. Yeah. And to let in the, the sting of that without letting it take us down completely if yes. it's not somebody that's that important to us. Um, but, you know, there are people that seem to let a lot of things roll off their backs. Yes. And we are not those people. <laughs> we take it in and it can go into rumination, but it can also go into it's because I care yes. deeply about relationships. Right? I care deeply about how, you know, Let's say going into the holidays, you're around people that you might not be around as frequently, but they're still important to you, like in-laws or a sister-in-law or a brother-in-law or something like that. And maybe not somebody that you would choose to be friends with had you not been born into the family or married into the family. But here you are and you're just being you and you have the sense that you are being judged. Right. That whoever is on the other end of this conversation or even just at the table, that you can feel the judgment. Like this is not a great match, but here you are. And to, to let that in and to validate it, I think, I think the healing path is to say, this doesn't feel great. I know I'm being judged right now. I don't think we're like, simpatico, you know, with each other in terms of just how we go around about in the world, mm -hmm. our temperaments, whatever it is. And without going into the shame spiral, right? Yes. Of 
there's something wrong with me. People just don't like me. I'm an idiot. Why do I keep talking? Oh my gosh. Right. It's so familiar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um that that the like even the over talking, it comes from love. Right. Yeah. It comes from I so badly want to connect. Yes. You know, and if we can bring that self-compassion and love to ourselves, even in the aftermath, when we start saying, oh my gosh, why did I say that? Um, I felt it just this morning. I was driving, or yesterday morning, I was on my way out somewhere and I see my neighbor, next door neighbor, who I had felt she was the one, one of them I had felt on the outside, with no fault of hers. Like it just... We just hadn't found our way to each other, and then, and then, it, and then we did. Um, but I've been—I had been seeing her over the weekend with a bunch of women who I assumed were her sisters, and it was so sweet. She comes from the south, and all her sisters are still in the south, and and I'm 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 seeing them go in and out, and coming out in their bathrobes and going for walks, and it was so sweet. And so I'm driving down the road and I stop to roll down my window, which for me is a moment of outreach. That's courage, not, right? Yes. Courage. I, I could have just kept going, right? Yes. That that is that is something for me yeah. to to stop and roll down my window and say, Oh, are you here with all, are these all your sisters? And she kind of hesitated. Now, I could be completely reading into the response, but it seemed to me like she hesitated, like she was taken aback. And, and she said, yeah. And I said, oh, it's so sweet. It's making me so happy to see. And they all kind of awkwardly were like, we were all kind of awkward. And then I was like, <laughs> okay, well, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Like I feel a little cringy when I look back on the interaction, but then I also think, you know, that was me just being sweet me. Like yes. that was me. I can go into the rumination like, oh, did she like did I cross some boundary? Was I noticing something I shouldn't have known? Like am I peering into her yard. To, I mean, our yards are wide open. So, they're, they're, you know, like you're not poking your head over a fence with no. a telescope. No, there's no <laughs> fence. It's just like one wide swath of lawn. And there she is with all her sisters. So I don't know. I don't know if I don't, I have no idea. I know I felt something. Yeah. I don't know what it was. And I could go into some kind of like, oh, why did I say that? Or, but I could also go into, well, I I reached out, you know, I I, I did find courage in that moment to make a connection or at least try, and that's my heart, you know, like that's just my sweet heart saying hi in. Whatever, whatever way I was moved to do that in that moment. And I think it also just speaks to like a general awkwardness that yes. humans, yes. that we all have, right? <laughs> like humans are awkward. And some humans might seem to have more social finesse than others. But I still think in those kind of random interactions or at a big gathering, we just feel mm -hmm. the awkwardness in the room. Yep. And then we take it on as our own, That's which I it. think is our Achilles heel. That's yes. it. Because everyone experiences awkwardness and embarrassment. It's just that some people are like, oh, that was awkward. And then they move along, you know, like they, they don't necessarily – internalize it as because I'm wrong and everyone hates me and I'm the most awkward yes. person on the planet. Yes. They, you know, they can say, yeah, that was awkward. Move along. And yes. like you said, I think there is this deep care. I also, I have this 
puppy dog part of me that just is like, I want to like everyone and I want to connect with everyone and I certainly want everyone to like me, (laughs) (laughs) but I want to connect deeply, you know? Yes. And I want people to feel comfortable and welcome and safe in my presence. And so I like work really hard to try to to Mm. facilitate that. And and again, it's a mixture of parts. There's a part that is genuinely just caring and and empathetic. And yes, there's a, a people-pleasing part that's trying to keep me safe in some way. It's like mm-hmm. all true at the same time. And I think, like you said, kind of remembering, remembering our values, like with any type of anxiety. You know, we you talk about that so much in your work, Cheryl. Like really rooting down into your values. Mm. And I think the same thing goes for social anxiety, even though the stakes can feel, they can feel so high. Mm-hmm. And it can feel so confusing because, yeah, like we really don't know how accurate, how accurately we are assessing how someone feels about us. It's actually quite hard, I think, to really yes. try to read that especially when you don't know someone very well and they don't know you very well. It's just hard. Yes. But what we can remind ourselves, like you said, is what are our values? You know, being genuine, being being kind or friendly or warm, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. People have different personalities and ways of expressing that. But being able to ask ourselves, okay, maybe I feel like that was kind of cringy but where where was i coming from mm-hmm. <laughs> with it you know mhm not to obsess not to obsess over did i execute it perfectly why why was i doing that but just to ask generally was that aligned with my values yes i was telling you cheryl about how i recently went to an event and there were about 60 people there and i didn't know anyone except the event organizer who i had met very briefly once before I didn't even know if she would remember me. And I kind of thought maybe there would be other people there who didn't know anyone, but I walked into the room and I quickly saw that it seemed 90% of the people at least had like brought a buddy or they were meeting up with someone. And I was so like it, the visceral oh, self-consciousness, yes. the the bodily awkwardness of not knowing what to do with my hands, yes, my my face. And, you know, just like walking around, like, should I pretend I'm looking at this book? Should I go up to someone and say, like, hello, my name? Like, I don't. And then the event organizer walked towards me and she remembered me and she was like, hi. And she was smiling and she was so friendly. And she was like, I'm so glad you could make it, Victoria. And I realized like a second too late that she was offering a Uh. hug. She kind of was offering a hug, but I did nothing. Like my my arms were like glued to the sides of my body. And then she yes. just kind of like took it back. And I was like, oh my God. Uh, like the second I walk in the door, I've already I've already made a mistake. I've al- <laughs> I've already been yes. awkward. Yes. I already feel stilted. It can happen so quickly. Mm. But I had to like take a step back and be like, okay. How brave of me to yes. try, right? Yes, you like, went. To go and to be yes. willing to be in that discomfort and to be like, looks like I'm practicing this again. Looks like I'm learning. You know, maybe next time I I would bring a friend to make it a little easier on myself, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, whatever it might be, but but to like really recognize that, I was I was doing my best to live my values of wanting to connect with community and connect with people and yes. you know I was I was fine. I was pleasant to people. I I talked to some people, I listened to some people mm-hmm. and you know my therapist said to me a, a question could could be did I did I offer some degree of friendliness? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or was there some yes. friendliness behind whatever I tried to do in that situation. And if the answer is yes, then good job, you know? Right, 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 right. So relatable. That visceral 
please let a hole open up in the floor feeling. Yes. Yes. Please let me hide. And yet you didn't. You stayed with it and you stayed there and you stayed in your body as best you could. Um, And reflecting on it, like you could feel the rumination coming in, but then also, wait a minute, right? I I showed up. You know, I showed up with courage and I stayed. And was there some amount of friendliness in my interactions with people? And if the answer is yes, that's yay me, right? That's that's all I need to really know. I think the piece about maybe next time I'll bring a friend um, has been my – one of my go-to crutches, comforts, needs – throughout my entire life mm-hmm. that if I have one friend, I am good. Right, right. Right. No matter what the situation is or if my husband's with me or if there's right. just one point of connection, I am good. But it's that feeling of when that friend isn't there. Yes. <laughs> and you are alone that then stirs up that primal place of I'm alone and people are seeing me be alone, right? Like you and I have talked about, it's not the being alone that's the problem. It's being alone and being witnessed being alone. Yes. That causes the anxiety, one element of the anxiety. But I think, again, just remembering that everybody feels this, right? We can't not because it's embedded into the fabric of who we are for the most part, right? We don't, I don't want to say every single human on the planet, but for the most part. And then I do think that there's another layer of social anxiety that's just important to name that like relationship anxiety or health anxiety or money anxiety or any anxiety theme that it can ebb and flow, that it can be symptomatic of other places inside where we're feeling disconnected, Mm. right? Where we're feeling maybe in exile from our own selves even, right? And that if social anxiety, because I've worked with a lot of people where it's not a stagnant thing, it like relationship anxiety, it, it can flare. Yeah. And then it can recede. There's times when we feel more socially fluid and more confident and less awkward, and it's good to remember those times. And then there's times when it just feels that feeling of every social interaction. What do I do with my hands, my arms, my face? (laughs) What does my nose look like? Why did I say that? Why does my voice sound weird? And so to just be curious about when you're in a flare, what else might be going on in my life? How might how how might I be abandoning my own self? How might I be in my own social exile? Right. And can I what are the ways that I might be able to to step back in? And so as always, it's holding both the thing itself with so much compassion and not trying to necessarily get rid of it, but also being curious about, in, in the other hand, what might be underneath in these more flared up times. our episodes, I was, I was talking about, oh, maybe it was on effort and ease. And I was talking about when we label ourselves as lazy, there's often something else underneath it. It's, it's often Mm. not really laziness. There's Mm. maybe some sort of anxiety underneath it, something that we want to avoid Mm. because of the emotional experience it gives us. And, you know, I think for me with socializing right now, I still have some lingering COVID anxiety. Mm-hmm. So that 
naturally makes me more awkward when I'm like, oh, I don't like how close this person is standing to me right now. Right. You know, or it's in the back of my mind and that finds its way out, you know? Yes. It makes me more jittery, more just kind of on edge. Yes. Yes. And I think like you're saying, there can be various things kind of under the surface that can make us more on edge. And mm-hmm. I was reflecting with you earlier how I wrestle with this question sometimes of should I be – when I struggle with this social anxiety around, I, I think I'm talking too much or mm. wow, I'm saying these silly things. And <laughs> I was sitting with this question of should I be working on being more mindful and pausing a little bit more before I speak or should I be working on berating myself less and not really obsessing so much over what I say? Hmm. And you said to me, I mean, you know, it can be both. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. It can be mm-hmm. a combination of taking a breath, mm. letting there be some silence that doesn't have to be awkward. I don't have to try to rescue everyone in the room from silence. Maybe they don't want to be rescued from it. Mm. <laughs> maybe right. they're enjoying a moment of quiet. But regardless, maybe it's not my job to rescue everyone from that moment. Mm-hmm. And maybe leaving that silence gives someone else an opportunity to speak. Maybe they've been trying to gather their courage to speak and they need a few seconds of silence mm. to enter the conversation. And at the same time, it is really important for me not to berate myself and to accept, again, as we talk about so much, my own imperfection. Mm. And letting that be okay, that I'm not going to be a perfect person, (laughs) socializing perfectly with everyone and just letting gems fall out of my mouth, you know, every time I speak. So thank God. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God we get to just be ourselves and just be messy, awkward humans that just say dumb things sometimes (laughs) and don't have gems falling out of our mouths. But but I think the piece also about we – I love that you're bringing this in a couple of times, that we just don't know how other people are perceiving us. Yeah. We really have no idea. And this came up a few nights ago. Um, I was telling Dave and Asher that we were going to record this episode on social anxiety and Dave said, oh, like how I just can't stop talking when I'm nervous and then I ruminate about it all night long. (laughs) And I'm like, yep, you're definitely related to Victoria. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) But what I said to him was, I don't perceive you that way. Yeah. I perceive you as being really socially fluid and lovely and confident. Um, I have never perceived Dave as being socially awkward. That doesn't mean it might not come up in moments, but overall, the way that he, his self-perception is totally different from the way I see him. And likewise, right, he thinks of me as being way more extroverted than I actually am. When we have people over to our home, I'm kind of rely on him to be more socially fluid. And he's thinking that like, I've got it together. Mm. And, you know, maybe the truth is that we're actually both more socially fluid than we think we are. Yes. And in our minds, we're just perseverating and, and highlighting the the moments of like when everybody first comes in the door and we're just standing there and <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like what's the next move come into the drawing room and let me mm-hmm. offer you some tea like mm-hmm. what do people do next <laughs> because we just stand here for a while and it's so awkward. Oh, the beginnings and the endings. I just wish yes. I could 
like snap my fingers and be in the middle of the social interaction. (laughs) And then when I'm ready to go, just snap my fingers and be out of it. It's (laughs) yes, the transitions, if you will. Transitions. Very awkward. Very awkward. So it's like maybe this conversation will allow all of us to have a little bit more grace and self-compassion for those possibly universal moments of awkwardness that we think are just us, you know, of whether it's the random person in the coffee shop or the neighbor or the friends and family or the big social situations where you don't know anybody or, you know, even in close friendship, we haven't really touched on that, but Mm -hmm. it absolutely can come up there too. And you had shared in one of our more recent episodes. Yes. Right about shame, about how it had come up in one of your closest friend circles, right? So it can show up anywhere at any time. And I think part of the way back in is exactly, exactly the wound itself. It's knowing that we all belong together in this awkward world of social anxiety, right? Like we're, we're all on the in side of of this experience. Yes, I think that's why it showed up in our episodes about shame because when we have that baseline of like ooh, I don't think I'm okay deep mm-hmm. down. You know, I was saying to you Cheryl that I have some beautiful friendships. I, you know, make connections with people and when I am obsessed with like, I need everyone to like me, right? Mm. And I need to mm. never mess up relationally. It's a bottomless pit, you know? Yes. And at the end of the day, that's not really rooted in in reality or in my genuine values mm-hmm. because this isn't Pokemon. We don't have to catch them all. Like we can't, like <laughs> we can't. <laughs> right. And if I really – if I really take a step back and think about who are the people in my life that I have genuine relationship with and do I believe that it is okay for me to sometimes say the wrong thing or even to mess up and then repair? Mm-hmm. And do I need to care about what every single person thinks of me? Do I need to perform for people to feel like I have value? Do I need to take responsibility for how everyone is feeling in a situation? You know, those are the questions that can help guide me back into a little bit more of a sense of steadiness mm-hmm. and a little bit more calm where I can accept the inevitable awkwardness. <laughs> I can accept my inevitable imperfection and I can like see the good, see the good in me and others and and let go a bit of some of what doesn't matter so much. Yes. I feel like it would be great to end with the quote that you shared with me last night, Cheryl, from Matt Haig. Mm. One do of you my have that in favorite quotes, I do. Yes. So linking back to that comment about, I am not cool. I have never been cool. And the pressure to be cool, especially in the younger years, but I think it still comes up. Yeah. And then I think in general, highly sensitive people just aren't cool because that's not one of our values. It's just not where we're putting our attention. Um, if cool is like always knowing the latest trends and always wearing the best clothes and um, hanging back yeah. and not getting fired up about things because it's not cool to seem like you care. <laughs> yes. yes. When actually people admire us sometimes for these things. They just don't say it. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. You know, I think about Everest as a student and how he always sits in the first row. Now, I have never told him sit in the first row. I was that student. Right? Yes always sitting in the first row, always showing up prepared to class. I think you're the same way, Victoria. Like this is the other side of caring deeply and 
wanting to engage and raising your hand up tall for every opportunity you get, you know, (laughs) like, and getting past social anxiety in order to say something in front of a class. Um, That was always a moment for me of challenge. It comes up in every single one of my groups that I run is when people have a question or they speak up on a call, almost invariably the first thing they'll say is, I'm so nervous. Yes. Just speaking in front of a group. And I say, I get it. You know, I still get nervous speaking in front of a group. I do it anyway, but I still, not when I'm the one leading, but if I'm a participant. So that deep caring is perceived as not cool, right? Being earnest and eager, right? (laughs) Earnest and eager (laughs) are not cool. But I love this quote from Matt Haig, never be cool, never try to be cool, never worry about what the cool people think. Head for the warm people. Life is warmth. You'll be cool when you're dead. Oh, I love it. Thank you for being warm, Cheryl. Uh, thank you for being warm, Victoria. And, and our all gathering, of our community. Yes, yes. Our gathering gold community is so warm. So thank you, all of you. Mm. It's good to be with the warm people. It really is. Thank you to Jarrett Farkas for the use of our beautiful new theme music. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe or follow, leave us a review, share it with a friend, and consider joining our Patreon, where we share regular bonus content and also host virtual meetups. Visit patreon.com slash gathering gold to learn more.